This week's Pasha, Pasha Devarim, opens the book of Devarim, the book which is primarily the speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu in the last 30 days of his life. As such, Sefer Devarim is distinct, completely different from the other four books of the five books of the Torah, in that it is primarily the words of a human being, Moshe Rabbeinu, speaking to the Jewish people in the last month of his life. Now this opens the deep question of the difference in the relationship between the fifth book and the previous four. Now we believe that every word of the Torah was dictated by God to Moshe Rabbeinu. Perhaps the last few verses were dictated to Yoshua after Moshe Rabbeinu's death. But besides that, the whole Torah was dictated from the mouth of God, quote-unquote, to the ears of Moshe in Nevoah. And yet, there's obviously something very human about the human speech in the Torah. Even if God edited the speeches made by human beings, quite naturally because not every speech, not every discussion that could have taken place, say, between Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov, necessarily is included in the Torah. Still, the speeches made, those words said, were the choice of human beings. They were the formulation of human beings, and as such, completely distinct from the parts of the Torah which are the word of God as a form of prophecy coming down word for word. So, although we believe that every word of the Torah was given as a dictation to Moshe Rabbeinu to turn it into the Torah and as such was edited uh, by God still the stories recounted in the Torah include formulations, words, speeches made by human beings and those speeches while edited by God and perhaps translated into other forms of speech or even other languages say in the case of Paro's speech presumably it was translated from Egyptian, they are still primarily primarily human speech. They are still an expression of the human mind brought out in the Torah. And as such, they are different from the parts of the Torah, which, the overwhelming majority, which is God's word unchanged by humanity. Now, the fifth book of the Torah is primarily... Moshe Rabbeinu's speeches to the Jewish people later dictated back to Moshe Rabbeinu to turn it into the Torah. This therefore means that with divine prophecy or divine spiritual help, Ruach HaKodesh, Moshe Rabbeinu gave out a speech, but it was on some level his own words, that speech was later decided by God to become part of the Torah and was dictated back to Moshe Rabbeinu. So while divine inspiration comes in presumably at at least two stages, the original development of Moshe Rabbeinu's speech and also later the precise, decisive dictation of each word to Moshe Rabbeinu, it could be he made many other speeches that were not included, yet still the speeches as speeches are human speeches said to particular audiences, 
the audiences changed throughout that last month. Sometimes it was to the whole of the Jewish people, sometimes presumably only to smaller segments. There were speeches made by a human being who woke up in the morning and ate breakfast, and he was within his generation, within his subjective consciousness, speaking as a human being. Like, for example, whenever Moshe Rabbeinu speaks earlier, or Avram Avinu for that matter, Yaakov Avinu, they all speak as human beings from a particular center of consciousness, which is human. Now, we believe that the study of Torah is a way of coming to appreciate and know the divine. To be more specific, the divine wish, the divine command. We can't exactly say the divine personality, but that's kind of what we're trying to say. Now, one way of getting into that frame of mind is simply the amount of knowledge you can take in. How much Torah you have learned, how many mitzvot you have learned to analyze. However, the deeper way, which presumably is behind everything, is through the accumulation of knowledge and learning to try and feel for what is trying to be said between the lines, ultimately what God is trying to tell you. This comes out through particular halachot. This comes out through how God acts in the world. Perhaps it comes out of science. Perhaps it comes out of human psychology. But it certainly comes out of the way God phrases things, expresses things, explains things to us. And that, of course, is part of the incredible importance of the story parts of the Torah. The story parts of the Torah are not just stories in which God acts, but stories that have been described to us by God. If we think about, uh, for a minute, normal literary analysis. When you study literature, you read a section, and you try to enter into the mind of the narrator, or author, depending on your style of literary criticism. You try to understand the center of consciousness through the focalization, the appreciation of which you can come to through a deep analysis of the text. That is to say, you read something, you try to understand not just what is being said, but the psychological mindset of the speaker, let it be the narrator or the author. Now, in the case of the Torah, on the one hand we have the idea that the Torah is expressed in human wording, otherwise we might not be able to understand it at all. Yet, we also believe that it's God who is speaking. It's dictated word by word for word to Moshe Rabbeinu as the message of HaKadosh Baruch so when a story is described, we're not just receiving the historical information, which might be comparably not very important. In a deeper sense, we're coming to an appreciation of God's quote-unquote mind, the way God looks at a particular incident. What is being seen is seen through what is being said, sometimes as we would like to see today, by what is not being said. Just as when somebody reads a letter I might write, 
or a poem somebody might write. They look into the person's mind by looking between the lines and seeing how the person expressed themselves. Clearly, when you know that this is dictation from the Word of God, analysis should send you in the direction of trying to appreciate the mindset, quote-unquote, of God. Or, perhaps more correctly, the mindset that God is expressing or clothing Himself in, in order to express His Word to us. What He wants us to understand of His, quote-unquote, personality. Whichever way, it makes very little difference. Our aim in learning Torah is not just to know the information, to hear the historical information, but rather to appreciate how things are expressed and the messages that are being given to us through that form of expression. The most incredible way, almost remarkable, to appreciate this is when you have two accounts of the same incident, one in the words of the divine and the other in human expression. Now we just mentioned a few minutes ago that Sefer Dvarim is primarily the speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu in the cases when he describes what they have seen, what the people had seen in that previous generation. They are certainly the speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu, perhaps with the divine spiritual help, but still his speeches. He has particular reasons for expressing things the historical information in one way or another, which are connected to his audience and the aims of his speech and what he's trying to teach them, how he's trying to give them Musa. Comparing this speech to God's dictation of the same event should give us two different angles on the same historical circumstance. This is very important because we have no other angles. We didn't see it with our own eyes we want to understand what God left out, one way to do it is to compare how a human being relates the same event as God dictated earlier, God related in dictation. A remarkable particular very particular case we have in our sedra, which we would like to get into now, the discussion of the war between the Jewish people and Sichon and Og, rather the two wars, that took place the, the generation of entering the land. Just before they entered the land, they had these wars just before Moshe Rabbeinu died. In effect, these are the wars, these are the current events that preceded only by a very small amount of time the speech of Dvarim. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu open the speech of Dvarim with current events? Presumably in order to contextualize his speech, to remind the people of the incredible successes that he had just seen before they come into the land, to remind the people that there is no reason they should not trust in God, God's incredible power at giving them these powerful armies, these powerful peoples that stood up against them after they called to peace. Let's start comparing, and we notice incredible things. The original 
discussion of the event took place at the end of Parshat Chukat. The two wars are discussed, hardly discussed, just mentioned. At the very end of the parasha, Perek Kafalif of Bamidbar, Pasuk Kafalif, from there until the end of the chapter, Pasuk Lamidhei, barely 15 Pasukim, of which a good part of it has nothing whatsoever to do with the war, but trying to make it clear to us who we're talking about, which is basically important only in order to understand who not to fight in the future. If you compare this end of Parsha, running through of events, to the next Parsha, Parshat Balak, the difference is phenomenal. In Parshat Balak, as we read only in the last few weeks, an incredibly long discussion back and forth between a human being and HaKadosh Baruch Hu and people sending the human being to come and curse the people going on and on in his precise prophecy itself going on for pages is not edited in the slightest with every particular of his speech with his donkey back and forth and yet only the previous chapter speaks about incredible wars that changed the face of that part of the Middle East and it's given barely 15 psukim, not even. If we break up those that chapter we notice, for example that only seven verses describe the wars precisely. We say that more or less the verses 23 to 25, 32 to 35 The first two psukim speak about the call to peace. Five psukim in the middle are a clarification of exactly who the enemy was. Only one psuk tells us of the settling of the land, which seems to be rather important so far as our understanding, appreciation of historical sociology. And as we said, only about seven psukim could be understood in any way as actually describing the wars. Now, before we actually take a look at this psukim, maybe let's compare this to the second and third chapters of our Sedra, Parashat Dvarim. Chapter 2, Pasuk 24, to chapter 3, Pasuk 11. Those are 24 verses. At least 14 are unquestionably descriptions of the wars, Dave, for your interest would be chapter 2, Pasuk 31 to 36, chapter 3, Pasuk 1 to 8. The exact same instant is spread out at incredible length with an incredible amount of information which we wouldn't even notice that we're talking about the same war. We wouldn't even see the same event taking place in the Pesukim. If we take a particular look at one Pesuk, this idea is noticed very, very clearly. At the end of the piece, in Parshat Chukat, we see the war against Og. And 
ויאמר השם אל משה, אל תירא אותו, כי בידך נתתי אותו ואת כל עמו ואת ארצו, ועשית לו כאשר עשית לסיחון מלך המורי אשר יושב בחשבון. So God told משה, he should not be frightened. That's very important. Now compare the message not to be frightened to the length of description of the war itself. פסוק ל"ה, as succinct as you can imagine. ויקרו אותו ואת פניו את כל עמו עד בלתי שיר לו שריד, וישרו את ארצו. And they smote him, and his sons, and all his people, until there remained no remnant of him, and they possessed his land. Now compare the exact same event to how it is described in Dvarim. Perk Gimel, Sukim 3 to 7. וייתן השם אלוקינו בידינו גם את עוג מלך הבשן ואת כל עמו, ונקהו את בלתי ישיר לו שריד. And God gave us into, in, into our hands, עוג, the king of the Bashan, and all his people, and we spoke to him, till there was no one left. ונלכוד את כל ערב בעת ההיא. And we took all the cities. לא הייתה קריה שלא לקחנו מאיתם. There was no one city that we did not take. שישים עיר, sixty cities, כל חרבל ארגוב. ממלכת עוג בבשן. Precise description of the cities, 60 cities where exactly they existed. And that's not enough. Describes how these were powerful walled cities. Besides, and fortified, besides unwalled cities a great many. The same event is described in very particular, very colorful, colorful style over a few psukim, giving us piles of information. Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to the people who saw it with their own eyes. Why does he have to describe it? He's clearly trying to explain something to them, trying to make them internalize the power of God. Well, why weren't we told these things? We didn't see it. We certainly need to have this information. We want to know what happened. Anybody who has any interest in the history wants to know. And everybody else wants to understand more or less the story. It doesn't seem to have been that important. Why? Well, if the purpose of the Torah is to express God's quote-unquote center of consciousness, if what we are supposed to really analyze and take out of our learning of the Torah is the way God looks at the world or the way God wants us to look at the world then the way God formulates particular events descriptions of events in his dictation to Moshe Rabbeinu is incredibly important a war deserves one and a half verses not to be afraid exactly who the enemy was in order to know not to fight them again or to know exactly what the war brought you to what point as we see later in the description of Yiftach that's very important but exactly how many cities they conquered that's all very physical that's not very important at all it would be better if there were no wars at all 
we remember that Chazal tell us that if they wouldn't, the Jews people wouldn't have sent them a Raglin, they wouldn't have had to fight at all. The whole thing is incredibly bidiyeve. The expert fact, they were not good. The world shouldn't run like this. The war itself is necessary. We have to thank God for what He gave us. We ourselves should not take that much interest in what goes on, in the fact that 60 cities were conquered, so many people were taken. Quite the opposite. God wants to teach us that in comparison to the story of Balak and Bilam, the story of the war is very unimportant. We have to know it happened. We have to appreciate what power God gives us. We have to learn to trust God. But the war itself, the exact account of what happened, is not important. When people break their heads over historical analysis, sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, is there a reason why you have to break your head so hard? Perhaps that was not the most important thing for the Torah to teach us. Now why does Moshe Rabbeinu tell it to us? Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to get the people to internalize the greatness of God, that He will go in front of them, He will conquer the land for them, that they should trust in Him, that they shouldn't sin, that they should believe. So what they themselves saw had to be hammered into them with effort for them to understand that God will be with them. But for us reading the Torah, what we're trying to get most of the time is how God looks at the issue. HaKadosh Baruch Hu describes the wars by dictation to Moshe Rabbeinu with no flashing colors. More than that. Sociologically speaking, the urbanization of a nomadic people should be incredibly important. A people who had been walking around in the desert for 40 years and living in tents, although perhaps about 19 years in one place, but still living in tents, any day could have gotten up and moved. When they take over cities and live in them, that's a very important piece of information. Sociologically speaking, that's perhaps one of the most important things that appear in the Torah. And yet, the whole piece of information is actually originally given in Parshat Chukat, in Bamidbar, in half a pasuk. The war against Sichon is told to us in this manner. Vayakel Yisrael Fichare. Like we said before in the case of Og, also in the case of Sichon, the Jewish people smote the whole area, took the land from here to there, no description of the cities, no description of the booty. The Jewish people took all these cities, and the Jewish people dwelt in the cities of their Morai. That is the whole description of the urbanization of the Jewish people. One clause, half a sentence. Why? Akhdash Baruch wants to teach us how to serve him. He wants to teach us how to live. He wants us to appreciate how, quote-unquote, he looks at the issues of humanity. The urbanization of a people itself, not the good or bad that it brings them to, 
not the incredible Averot which they fell into at the end of Parshat Balak that Pinchas, Pinchas' action took them out of. The urbanization itself is of little value, of very little meaning. Such little value that it brings to such incredible Averot. It's the Averot which we take interest in. We want to understand how we fell. But the actual issue of urbanization is not particularly positive. It's not particularly important. People can just as well stay in tents. Development of social structures themselves, besides the good they produce, they appear in the Torah for half a possible, but not much more. It doesn't have that much importance in the design, in the divine center of consciousness. However, in Parashat Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking. He is speaking to the Jewish people, giving them a feeling of the power of God. Then he describes it all, and through comparing, as we have seen, through comparing what appears in Parashat Dvarim to what appears previously at the end of Parashat Chukat, we appreciate the fundamental difference between the account of a human being teaching other human beings to believe and what God ultimately wants us to understand. What God ultimately wants to teach us is this is not important. It's important on some level for you to know these things happen. This is not something to dwell on. A war is not important. It's important for the safety that comes from it. It's important for the knowing, the human knowledge of that power of God and that you should trust on Him, in Him, and you should know that when you keep the mitzvot, Hashem will save you. It is not important in itself. It holds no value whatsoever. More space is given to a description of who the enemy was than to the war itself or any of the particular wars themselves. And when you compare this to the next parasha, Parashat Balak, this difference is phenomenal. Remember, reminds us of an idea that the Ra'al Bag says that the reason why the Parashat Nesiyim are so incredibly long is for us to understand that the Torah does not have any problem in giving us long accounts. And when it gives us short accounts, like Mitzvah of Tefillin being said so incredibly succinct manner, we are to understand from that that it's not because HaKadosh Baruch could not give it more space, but because there was a reason why it should be said in shorthand. We might not always understand why things are said in shorthand, but God has no problem to make the Torah much longer if He wants to. That's an interesting idea of the Ra'al Bag about the Korbanot of the Nesim. I think it's important to bring that into our context as well. HaKadosh Baruch could have given us a long description of the wars. Moshe Rabbeinu himself gave a long description of the wars. Chodesh Baruch could have given us a long description of the urbanization of the Jewish people, which would have been very interesting histor- historically. The aims of the Torah is not to teach us history. Well, it does so. That is not the aim. The aim is to teach us how to live and how to look at the world. And just as any author gives over of his center of consciousness, his focalized approach on the world, seen through his own eyes, in the dictation of the Torah gives over what he wants us to understand of the way he quote unquote looks 
at what goes on in the world. And this idea, we should not see only in the Torah, in the stories of the Torah. We should look for that in Halacha. We should look for that in learning of Gemara. We should look for that everywhere. The focalization of the divine, the quote-unquote center of consciousness, of the mind, quote-unquote, of God. If you want to understand the purpose of the Torah, understand that it's Chochmah Shalmala, brought into our existence, as the Medrash says in Bereshus. If you want to understand, as the Nefesh Chaim says in the fourth, cha- uh, fourth part of Nefesh Chaim, how the Torah comes from above, coming into each world, expressing itself and translating itself into our world, we have to understand that the Torah is a dictation from God, expressing how He looks at the world through, so to say, His eyes, His mind. The message of the Torah is not only the words, it is the reading in between the lines of understanding what was left out. That HaKadosh Baruch wants us to understand the issues and the stories that He teaches us. As subject matter of a particular nature, not just historical information, but messages of how we should look at such events in our own lives.